Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Okay, um, if I were to ask you to name the most persecuted group on the planet, what would you say? Would you say Christians? Um, This may surprise some of you, but Christians are the most persecuted group of people in the world. They, and that, that idea that, that Christians are the most persecuted is the most ignored, unnoticed, least reported, overlooked news item on the planet. Nobody talks about it. The International Society for Human Rights, which is not a, a religious organization, it's a secular organization, let out a report that said 80% of all religious freedom violations in the world today happen against Christians. Throughout history, Christians and Christianity and the church has been persecuted. Uh, When the church first got started, they fed Christians to the lions. I've read books about what happened in the Colosseums, and it was just amazing how many times they would round up Christians for sport and throw them to beasts and let them be a part of these uh, these proceedings where they entertained the people and they would use Christians as the food for these beasts and lions and things. Nero, the emperor Nero used to take Christians and have them hung in his garden coated with tar and he would entertain his guests at night and there would be games played out and they would eat food and they would, he would entertain and he would have the Christians dipped in tar and then lit on fire and that provided the light for the entertainment to light up the illuminate the entertainment for the evening Um, just horrible to think about something like that for the first 300 years of the church's history it was illegal to be a christian and persecution was rampant there was torture they burned people at the stake you know i've seen movies where they've sent people over waterfalls tied to to crosses i saw a movie called silence i would recommend that movie to you make you really think it's um i mean it's 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 not easy to watch. I just will warn you. Just be, if you've got a weak stomach, don't want to watch it. But it's it's a movie I think every Christian should see. Silence. And in that movie, their way of persecution, one of many, was they put these men on crosses and they put them out in the ocean up to about their knees. And as the as the tide rose and the waves came in, it slowly drowned them. It's horrible to think about dying that way. You know, people have had their heads cut off. They've burned their homes. They've burned them at the stake. Just it goes on and on for over 2,000 years. But the biggest secret uh, is that the greatest persecution of Christians is happening in our lifetime. In our lifetime. And it goes unreported. Since the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago, about 70 million Christians have lost their life, been martyred for the cause of Christ. Now here's the, the statistic that should really wake you up. Half of those, 35 million Christians, have lost their lives in the last 100 years for the cause of Christ. In the past year, about 100 million people have lived in countries where the state or the prevailing religion or the dictatorship left them in danger of persecution, discrimination, interrogation, arrest, imprisonment, torture, and sometimes death. When the first Gulf War broke out, there were 1.3 million Christians in Iraq. Today, that number stands at 100,000 Christians. Current estimates say that in in North Korea, and North Korea is the biggest violator of Christian martyrdom, um, there are more than 70,000 Christians in prison. 
A Christian dies for his faith around the world about once every five minutes, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, for the last decade. And you say, well, Brett, what do you want me to do about it? Well, first of all, I want you to care. I don't want you to just hear those statistics and think, eh, okay. No, I want you to care. Be informed. I want you to pray. I want you to remember those people. And I want you to, sometimes when you're tempted to complain about how bad you've got it, and God, my car wouldn't start this morning. I want you to remember there's somebody in North Korea in a prison who hasn't seen their family. They're starving to death. They're terribly, brutally mistreated sometimes. They're, they feel forgotten. They're being martyred. They're being persecuted. Number three, maybe you want to give. There are organizations that work to get people like that out of those environments. And if you want some information on where you might place some of your money to help that, I could help you with that. Number four, I want you to be an advocate for freedom. This is something that should be on your lips. This is something you should talk to your kids about. This is don't let it die. Right? Remember it. Bring it up to other people. When they're complaining, say, you know what? Could be worse. You could be in Pakistan and you could be in jail somewhere, right? When they're complaining to you that their car wouldn't start, tell them it could be worse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 says this, Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, I've already said this in this series, but I'm going to double down and say it again. I've probably said it two or three times already, but being a Christian is without question the hardest thing I have ever tried to do in my life, and I've tried to do some hard things. I had Greek at 7 o'clock in the morning, y'all, okay? That's not easy. I'm married. Uh, you know, I've, I'm a father. If you're married and you've got kids, you, you know those two things are hard to do. It doesn't matter how great your spouse is. I'm married to a wonderful woman. But when you live with someone, you're called to subjugate your will to what they want. It's just a part, it's part of being married. It's, it's, it's how it goes. And being a Christian is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life. It's not for wimps. It's not for people who lack courage. It's not for weaklings. It isn't for the faint of heart. You must be willing to face rejection, criticism, disapproval, peer pressure, harassment, and opposition if you truly wish to live your life for Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this, Paul wrote this to Timothy, anyone who belongs to Christ Jesus and wants to live right will have trouble from others, will have trouble, not maybe, not could be, not might, not it's possible, no, you will, if, if it's a guarantee, write it down, if you stand for Jesus and you stand for what is right, if you live out your faith, there will be people who will oppose you and may even seek to do you harm. Now today, we wrap up our studies on the Beatitudes out of the Sermon on the Mount, that great sermon that Jesus preached, you would find that in Matthew chapter 5 verse, or yeah, 5 through chapter 7. And so far, this will be the last one. This wraps up the series. I've had so many of you tell me how much you've learned in this series, and I'm with you on that. I, you know, the best sermons are preached to the preacher first, and that happens all the time with me. I'm preaching to me long before I ever preach to you. Uh, we've looked at humility, we've looked at generosity and integrity and mercy, and today, in the last beatitude, Jesus deals with the issue of opposition 
and persecution, and we're trying to figure out what do we do with that today? And we're going to look at two things. What do you need to remember when you're persecuted, and what do you need to do? When you're harassed, when you're put down, when you're criticized, when you're maligned, intimidated, what do you do? And let's just be honest. In America, more times than not, more than likely, you're not being harassed. You're not being persecuted. To which I would, I would say one more word, yet. Um, I'm seeing things happen today that I never thought I would see happen. I'm hearing people talk in ways today about the church and Christians in ways that I never thought I would hear them talk. I remember many, many years ago when the church and Christians, even if people weren't Christians and they didn't go to church, they had respect for Christians and they had respect for the church. Not any longer. That's long gone. We live in a world where they set churches on fire now in our country. We live in a world where people intend to do harm to people who are Christians. Now, not a lot, but, but in the right part of the country and at the right place if it found out you were a Christian you might be in a little bit of trouble so you know we've seen we see this developing thing happen in our culture and I'm here to tell you it's going to get worse it's not going to get better so far in America we are not facing violent oppression but what we are facing is a silent repression they want you to shut up. They want you to sit down. They don't want you to talk. They don't want to hear about your God. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They do not want you to be a public witness. They want you to conform and swim with the stream. A boss may pressure you to do something that is immoral, might even pressure you to do something that is out and out illegal. When, when people are telling dirty jokes around the water cooler and you're tempted to stay there and smile, you, you know, you may not tell any yourself, but you're there and you're participating, you're smiling like it's okay. But inside, you're, you know, you hear, it, you hear it in the back of your head, I really shouldn't be participating in this. And the pressure is to stay there and, and, and not look, you know, not draw attention to yourself and to not remove yourself from that and say, you know what, I don't want to participate in this. You may be invited to some event somewhere that you just should not go to. I, one of the things, I've never been to one of these, but they're, apparently they're a big thing now. Uh, I mean, they've always been around. Bachelor parties and bachelorette parties. And some of those are okay, but I, you know, I've heard stories about what happens at some of those. And you, know, you get invited to go, and, and if you were to say, you know what, I'm a Christian, and what's going to happen there is not something I want to be a part of, you would likely take some heat for that. They would laugh at you. They would put you down. And even maybe as I'm saying that, what's going through your mind is, oh, come on, Brett, don't be such a prude. I'm just saying that when you take your faith seriously and you start drawing some lines in the sand and you say to yourself, this is who I'm going to be and I'm going to listen to Christ and I'm not going to listen so much to what everybody else wants or thinks of me, it's going to cause some problems for you. You might be put down. You might be harassed. You might be made fun of. You will be pressured to be silent when you are standing around one day and somebody says, you know, all Christians are bigots, all Christians are racist, you know, they're just stupid, and you feel the pressure to stay quiet. What should you do? There are things you need to do and things you need to remember. I want to give us three things that we need to remember first. Number one, opposition can make you more like Jesus. 
Opposition can make you more like Jesus. That's a good thing. It makes me more like Jesus because Jesus experienced opposition. John chapter 15. If the people of this world hate you, this is Jesus speaking, just remember that they hated me first. If you belonged to the world, its people would love you, but you don't belong to the world. I have chosen you to leave the world behind, and that is why people hate you. Remember how I told you that servants are not greater than their master. So if people mistreat me, they will mistreat you. Now listen to me. As you grow up to be more like Jesus, you are going to encounter many of the things that Jesus went through in his life. Was Jesus lonely? Yes. Was Jesus discouraged? Yes. Was Jesus worn out? Yes. Was Jesus tempted and maligned and criticized and lied about? Yes, to all those things. I said a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'll say it again, it amazes me how people think that they are going to try to live their life like Jesus and be a Christ follower, but they think they're going to go through life and not experience the same things that happened to Jesus. The more you take Jesus seriously and the more you try to be like him, the more you're going to be treated like him. And one of the great myths in, in the world is, you know, I, these, these tough guys that act like, you know, I'm, too, I'm above Jesus. I'm too tough to follow Jesus. You know, Jesus is for wimpy guys. Let me tell you something. When you set your face to Jerusalem and you walk into a city that is hostile toward you and you know that it's going to end and you winding up on a cross, don't talk to me about wimpy Jesus. I have such respect. I have such admiration. I have such a desire to have that kind of courage and that kind of resolve that I would walk into the middle of the hornet's nest knowing what they were going to do to me. And all these tough guys that talk about, you know, wimps are what Jesus is for wimps. They wouldn't walk into Jerusalem knowing that there was a cross waiting for them at the end. And I want that kind of courage. I want it for me and I want it for you. Jesus was a brave, brave somebody. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He was hated by many people. He was loved by sinners. But people who didn't like goodness hated Jesus. Evil always hates goodness. John chapter 3, verse 19. This comes three verses after that famous passage in John, John 3, 16. This isn't verse 19. The light has come into the world, and people who do evil things are judged guilty because they love the dark more than they love the light. Why is that? Because evil wants to hide itself. And when the lights come on, it can't be hidden. Ever been sitting in a dark room, you're looking at your phone, or you're watching a dark, you know, like a scary movie on television or whatever, and somebody comes in and flips the light on, and it's bright, and that's fun, isn't it? No, that's awful. It's, nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. You know, you're a kid, and time's changed and now it's really dark in the morning and you're all nestled down in your bed and mom comes in and throws the lights on and it's time to get up uh, mom turn the lights out what are you doing nobody nobody likes that jesus said i am the light of the world he later would say look at christians and say you are the light of the world our culture would reject jesus why because darkness cannot stand the light and evil cannot stand goodness now what that means is this, even if you were perfect, you're not, I'm not, but even if you were perfect, people are not always going to like you. 
Some of us think, you know, if I was just, if I was just more, more loving and more likable, if I could be perfect, everybody would like me. No, they wouldn't. Jesus was perfect. People hated him. You will never get to the place where everybody likes you. Opposition means you're doing something right. In that moment, you're being like Jesus. Jesus said, if they didn't like me, they are not going to like you. 1 Peter chapter 4. You see a lot of verses that deal with persecution when Peter is writing, because they were dealing with a lot of it. It says, if you are abused because of Christ, count yourself fortunate. It's the Spirit of God and His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. Congratulations. Count it as a compliment. No one has ever criticized you or your faith. If that's the case, what's, what does that say about you and your faith? If you never get criticized for it, if nobody ever comes at you, if you just kind of skate through everything and, and you know, people really don't even know, what does that say? Scripture says being like Christ is going to bring criticism. If I'm never criticized, I might want to ask myself the question, well, what am I doing that sets me apart from anybody else and do I really look like Jesus to anybody? Second thing you need to remember, opposition will deepen my faith. Opposition will deepen my faith. Opposition is how your faith grows. It's exactly the way your muscles grow. Your muscles do not grow by sitting in a chair and eating Krispy Kreme donuts. Trust me, I've tried that. I've tried that. If, if eating Krispy Kremes in a chair could, would, would you know, build muscles, I'd be jacked. But I'm not. Because it doesn't work. The way you build muscle is you, you, you put some strain on the muscle. You put some opposition on it. You make it hard. You make it difficult for that muscle to work. You give it some opposition. Opposition strengthens and deepens your faith. If you have no opposition in your life, you likely have no growing faith. If you're going through something right now and it's scaring you, and you're wondering, how am I going to get through it? I don't understand it. This makes no sense. God, I'm, I'm struggling here. Congratulations. Your faith is being tested. There's opposition. And hopefully, you're growing through it. The strongest believers today, contrary to what, what most of us probably think, are not in America. The strongest believers on the planet today are in places where if, if they find out you're a Christian, they shoot you. Renounce Christ or you're dead. Renounce Christ or we're going to rip you away from your family and throw you in jail. This happens all over the world in places like Pakistan and Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and North Korea and China. 1 Peter 1, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Why does this happen? Here's why it happens. That it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your reward is coming one day. If you stand in the heat, if you stand in the fire, and you let opposition deepen your faith. So opposition makes you more like Jesus. It deepens your faith. I just gave you a little foreshadowing of what number three is. Opposition will give me eternal rewards. And, and, and you know, it's here that we come to this beatitude that Jesus taught in Matthew, and it's the last one, and it has to do with opposition. He says this in, in verse 10, Blessed are those who have been persecuted 
for the sake of righteousness. That means that you're not being persecuted for, for no reason. You're taking heat because you're trying to look like Jesus. That's what he's talking about. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, you don't get rewarded for being rude or obnoxious. You know, if you're a rude or obnoxious Christian and you're, you know, you're just trying to correct people but you're rude and obnoxious about it and kind of pompous and you know, uh, self-righteous, you ever been corrected by somebody like that? Nobody likes that person. Nobody wants to be around somebody like that. And if you, get, if you run into persecution because, you know, that's the way you were, you're not being persecuted because you were like Jesus. You're being persecuted because you were a jerk and you probably deserve it. Jesus isn't saying that you're going to get rewarded for being a jerk. He says you get rewarded for being like me. So those are the three things to remember. When opposition comes, when harassment comes my way, it can make me more like Jesus, it can deepen my faith, and I'm going to get a, an eternal reward. Now I want to turn our attention to six things, we'll do this quickly, that we can do, but before we get into this, I want to say this again. Christianity is not for the faint of heart, as you are about to see. You know, when I get up here and I say, hey, being a Christian is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do in my life, these six things are going to illustrate for me, when we're done, you're going to say, who, Brett, who can do that? <laughs> exactly. That's why it's so hard. Yeah, yeah. Preaching's hard, too, when they're coming at you like that. But listen, here, it takes courageous men and it takes courageous women to live out a faith for Jesus. It's not for wimps. It's not for people who get their feelings hurt. It's not for people who are going to shy away. You want to follow Jesus? You really want to follow Jesus? You better, you better get ready. There are people suffering for Christ around the world, and they are suffering in ways that we likely never will. The question is, what is it costing you to follow Jesus? You may never have to deal with violent aggression, but you will most certainly have to deal with silent, silent repression. At the least, you'll have to deal with that. America has become and is becoming more and more a place where persecution is going to happen. It, it, uh, hopefully not in our lifetime, but I mean, I'm telling you, I never thought I would see it get to where it is today. It's kind of, it's, it gets your attention. Six things. Here's how to handle opposition to your faith. Here we go. Number one, don't be surprised. You should not expect the world to support your decision to follow Jesus. Now, the Christians will be thrilled about it, but other people are not going to stand off and go, oh, great, another Christian. They should. If we lived it outright, they should, but they won't. 1 Peter chapter 4, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus told us, look, in the world you are going to have tribulation. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised by it. Number two, don't be afraid. How do I get rid of fear? How do I get rid of the fear of opposition, the fear of disapproval, the fear of being rejected? Here's how. Be filled with the love of God. The more you know and realize that God loves you, and I say this all the time, the hardest message I have to get people convinced of is with adults especially, is getting them convinced that God is crazy about you. 
You say, Brett, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't, you, just, you don't know my background. I don't care what your background is. God is crazy about you. He loves you. He loves you. Be filled with God's love. The more you know and realize how much God loves you, the less fear you will have in your life. Scripture says there is no fear in love. It says perfect love casts out fear. God gives us perfect love. And so according to Scripture, the more we understand that, the more fear should be cast out of our life as we come to understand I'm loved by God. What can touch me? Well, there's nothing greater than, than me being loved by God. Healthy people are not afraid of disapproval. Healthy people don't need anyone's approval. Healthy people know that they are loved by God. 1 Peter 3, But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it, so don't worry or be afraid of their threats. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Let's talk about two words for a minute. Let's talk about the word worry and the word worship. Something comes into your life, gets you all anxious, gets you all worked up. You don't know. It's a health thing. It's a, something about your kids. It could be any number of things. And it's got you all worked up. you got two choices, worry or worship. You're going to panic. You're going to pray. You're going to put all your attention on the problem. Or you're going to put your attention on God. You can focus on the problem, the pressure, the persecution, or you can focus in on the power of God. Turn your attention away from the pressure you feel and turn it toward God. Worship is nothing more than focusing on God. You can worry or you can worship, but you cannot do both at the same time. you got to pick. Which one are you going to do? In Scripture, when Stephen is stoned to death, they're literally killing him as they throw rocks at him. The Bible says he looked to the heavens. What was he doing? He was worshiping. That's how he went out. Worshiping. Don't be, don't be surprised don't be afraid. Don't, and then number three, don't be ashamed. <clears throat> you should never be embarrassed for standing for the truth and for doing what's right. 1 Peter chapter 4. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Is a put down or a criticism or an insult going to kill you? No. No. This goes back to humility. I talk a lot about humility mainly because it's hard for me. It's, I think it's hard for most people, but it's the thing I strive for the most, and it is so elusive. I heard somebody say one time, the moment you think you're humble, you're probably not. And, and it's just, if you want to be like Jesus, it's about pursuing humility. And here's the thing about humility. When you get it in the right place in your life, you become almost impervious to insult. When you, when you nail humility down in your life, it becomes very, very difficult to offend you or to hurt you. I'm going to say something that if you could lock this away, it, would, it might liberate your life. And I'm just going to confess to you, this is a, a moment of self-revelation, uh, I guess. Um, I, it's, I'm still not good at this. I'm trying. I try to do this. This has been a struggle for me my whole life. I work on this constantly. This is the statement that I'm going to make. You should write this down. I don't need other people's approval to make me happy. I don't need anybody else's approval to make me happy. If all you got out of what I'm saying this morning was that, that might be worth the price of admission 
for you this morning. Otherwise, you are going to live your life controlled by what other people think about you rather than being focused on what God thinks about you. The most important thing about you is not what anybody else thinks about you. It's not what you think about God. The most important thing about you is what God thinks about you. And God loves you. And you can't be who God made you to be if you're worried about what everybody thinks about you. You do not need the approval of other people to make you happy. If I paid attention to all the people who don't like me, you would find me in my bed in the fetal position, curled up, afraid to move. I mean, you just I'm trying to focus on God and what God wants me to do. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm learning slowly that I can't worry about what everybody thinks. I'm trying to figure out, God, how are you and I? And, and I know that you love me, and, and I'm just trying to be what you need me to be. I'm not going to worry about them. I don't need, and you don't need, anybody else's approval to be happy. First Peter chapter 5, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. What he's saying is, you're in good company. You're in good company. This has happened for 2,000 years. Don't ever let anybody laugh you out of following Jesus. 1 Peter 3, remember, it is better to suffer for doing God's will than to suffer for doing evil. No matter what you do in life, somebody is not going to like it. You're not going to do anything in, in the world that somebody doesn't criticize it. So you may as well do the things that God likes rather than the things that other people like because it's not going to matter anyway. You cannot avoid disapproval. Number four, recognize the source of opposition. It's the devil, okay? It's the devil. It's not other people. It's not coworkers. It's not some other religion. It's not politics. The, 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 the real source of the pressure you feel to cave in and not have integrity, to be quiet, to not stand up for what you know is the right thing, the pressure comes from the devil. In Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of Christians. That's his number one job, to put you down, to get you convinced that you're not good enough, to get you convinced that you're just play-acting at this Jesus thing and that really what you should do is just give up. I mean, who do you think you are? You think you're good enough to be a Jesus follower? Come on. The devil says, look, I know what you did. You're not, you may fool them, but you're not fooling me. I know who you are. You just need to give up. You need to forget it. You need to for, just, just throw your hands up. Don't try to do this Jesus thing. Jesus thing. You think you're like Jesus? <laughs> That's his message to you. That's his message to you, is to get you so convinced that there's no way. Listen, Satan hates God, and Satan hates everything that God has created, especially you. You've heard the expression, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for his life. If I've heard my pastor say that to me once, I've heard it a hundred times. Brett, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. said it all the time. I want to add something to the end of that. Satan hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. Both of those things are true. God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life. The devil hates your guts and has a horrible plan for your life. The quickest way to hurt a parent is to hurt their kids. You want to break a mama's heart? Break her kid's heart. Break one of her kids. 
There's an unseen spiritual battle taking place all around you. This pressure to, to, to get you to cave and to do the wrong thing and, and to follow other people. That is not a pressure that comes from other people. Not really. Those people are just pawns. They're just tools being used by the devil. Many times they don't even know that they're being used. They, they don't get it. We are talking about a spiritual warfare here. Ephesians sums this up the best. It amazes, we never talk about this. I should talk more about this, but you guys would, you know, probably freak out. And I don't fully understand it, but I know this. I know that in places that, that are unseen, a spiritual war rages, and Ephesians talks about it. We're not fighting against human beings, but against wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. We're not fighting human beings. I keep waiting for us to realize this in this country. We are so divided as a country. There's no unity in this country, and it's, it's, it's a spiritual war that's going on. This isn't about one side and the other side. There are so many things that are being used to divide us, politics and health and sports and race. That's a spiritual thing going on. There, there's a battle going on, and we've got to pray more. We've got to figure out this Jesus thing more. There are evil, wicked, spiritual forces at work in the heavenly realm. It has always amazed me the number of people who are willing to come to church, who call themselves Christians, who believe in God, who pray, but when you start talking about the devil and you start talking about the spiritual realm and what happens there, they go, well, I don't believe in that. What? Yes. It's going on. If you don't understand that a war rages around you in the spiritual realm, you don't understand what Jesus was all about. So what does the devil use? He uses the media, he uses music, he uses comedians, he uses actors and actresses, influencers, commercials, the cool people. He'll use anything or anyone he can to ridicule those who follow Jesus. Here's what scripture says you should do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. Stay away from stupid and senseless arguments, to which I would add, especially the internet. Paul didn't have the internet. If Paul had had the internet, he would have written that in there. I'm sure he would have. He would have said, and the internet. He goes on. These only lead to trouble. Verse 24. And God's servants must not be troublemakers. And I see this all the time on social media. Christians being troublemakers. You are not going to solve all the world's problems on social media. Stop trying. You are not going to convert everybody to Jesus on social media. Stop trying to do it there. Get into a relationship with somebody, but you're not going to do it in 120 characters or less. It just, it's a pipe dream to think that. They must be kind to everyone, and they must be good teachers and very patient. Verse 25. Here we go. Be humble when you correct people who oppose you. You ever been corrected by somebody that wasn't humble? That's not much fun, is it? They're a jerk. They're not sensitive. They're not kind. They don't think about your feelings. They just, they just think they're better than you. No, he says, be humble when you correct people. Maybe God will lead them to turn to him and learn the truth. They've been trapped by the devil and he makes them obey him. But God may help them escape. How did Jesus treat people who were mistreating him? He hung on a cross and he uttered the words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
That's what it means to be Christ-like. You want to follow Jesus? That's what it means to follow Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I love the way this is written in the message. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to to let God set things right. This leads me straight into the fifth thing that you need to do when you're under attack. It's not easy. It's number five. Refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. You are most like Jesus. When, when you are struck, you don't strike back. Let's go back and let's revisit the last beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He says, you're going to be insulted. They're going to call you all kinds of names. You're going to be persecuted, mistreated, abused, passed over, lied about. If they, if they as Christians, the world loves to find fault with Christians. And if they can't find any fault, they'll make it up. Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that. As far as it depends on you. Here's what I love about Scripture. Scripture recognizes that some things are beyond your control. This verse is a perfect example. It recognizes that that you can do everything you want to do, but there still are people who are going to give you trouble. There are some people you just can't live at peace with. Don't look at them right now. Okay? You, you want to, don't, don't. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Some of us, you know, there's somebody in our life and it's like they just keep poking, they just keep prodding, they just, mm. and you're like, oh, I just want to strangle them. Jesus says, no, no. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, I told you a little bit ago, you don't need the approval of others to make you happy. I want you to write that down. I want you to write this down. Here's the second truth. Anytime I react, I give control to that person. Anytime I react, I give control to that person. You don't want to do that. I had a decision I had to make. This is many, many years ago. I was in ministry in another place. I was I had a decision to make. It was pretty public. It was going to affect several people. And I, I was worried, again, people aren't going to like me. And that worked me up. And, and I was talking to a friend of mine who was in ministry. And I said, Greg, you know, no matter what I decide here, they're, you know, it's, going to, it's going to make somebody mad. And he gave me the best piece of advice I've ever been given. He said, Brett, the only reaction you can control is your own. How wise. The only reaction you can control is your own. You know, when when you look at somebody and you say, you make me so mad, you just admitted to them that they have control over you. If you're going to get mad, you choose to get mad. Don't let somebody make you mad. Right? Let that be something that's in your 
wheelhouse, something that you control, something that you decide. There's a righteous anger to have sometimes, and when there's a place for righteous anger, you let it rip. But don't let somebody else be responsible for kicking you into overdrive and make you do things that you're going to regret later. Don't let somebody else control your emotions like that. Sixth thing you need to do when you face opposition, this is the most important one of all, and then we're going to close. And this one's most important because this sets us apart in our religion, I hate that word, but in our faith, this sets us apart from everybody else in the world. Nobody else does this. Number six, respond with a blessing. What? Return good for evil. You not only refuse to retaliate, a lot of people refuse to retaliate, but you go a step further than that. Jesus calls you further. He says, you actually need to do good for those people who are out to hurt you. You do good to those people who, who curse you. You do good to those people who aren't good to you. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now we're going to look at one last passage, and I just want to say this before we read this passage. I'm going to read this, I'm going to ask you two questions, and then we're done, okay? Here, here's what I, here's, the, here's the, the thing that I would say about this passage. I hate this next passage. If I could, if I was king for a day and they gave me control of the Bible, or if I'd been Jesus, I would have not said this. That's why they didn't let me be Jesus right? God said, no, Brett can't be Jesus. He's not a very good Jesus. No, we're going to let Jesus be Jesus. Exactly. exactly. I wish this wasn't in scripture. When I say that following Jesus is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do, this verse is why it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. You're going to hear this and you're going to think to yourself, really? Here we go. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus speaking, Love your enemies. you got to be kidding me. Do good to those who hate you. Okay, now Jesus, you're just into crazy talk. Bless those who curse you. Come on, Jesus. Come on. He's not done. Pray for those who hurt you. Are you kidding me? Seriously. Seriously. Jesus, come on. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. Listen, any fool can strike back. Any fool can get angry, do something in a heated moment, and strike back. I say this all the time. I'm going to say it again because you need to hear it a lot. When something bad happens to you and you're insulted or you're angry and you're tempted to take it out, you have two options. You can hold your tongue for 20 seconds. Count them out. 20 seconds. Hold your tongue and be thankful for the next 20 years. Or you can indulge whatever that is that comes up in you, and you can give yourself to that in that 20 seconds and regret it for the next 20 years. Your choice. You follow Jesus. And he calls you to hold your tongue. He calls you to more than that. He calls you to bless back. Brett, why would you say following Jesus is the hardest thing you've ever tried to do? Because of that? Because that's not easy for me? Because that doesn't come naturally for me? Because when you hit me, I want to ball up my fist and let you have it. Two questions and we're done. If it were illegal to be a Christian in America today, 
Would there be enough evidence to convict me? How are we doing? Second question. What is your faith costing you? Here's my invitation to you this morning. Spend some time with those two questions with Jesus this week. If it were illegal in America to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Just you and Jesus, just talk about that for the next week. And then ask Jesus this. Jesus, really, when I think about it, what is my faith costing me? And see what answers you get back. Let's, um, let's take our walk a little more seriously. Let's stand up a little straighter. Not pompously, not proudly, not I'm better than you. Well, I want nothing to do with that. Humbly, let's take Jesus more seriously. Let's pray together. Father, the first thing that I want to do is I want to praise you and worship you and honor you. You provide for us. You lead us. God, I would be lying if I said I understood all the time some of the decisions you make and why you do certain things and how you let certain things happen. Sometimes I don't understand. It's above my pay grade. I wish I knew, but you know better. And you know that I probably have no business with that kind of information. So I humbly recognize that you're God and I'm not. And Father, the second thing I want to do is I want to remember those brothers and sisters around the world who are in prison and they're mistreated and they've been removed from families and they've been displaced from their homes all because they just called themselves Christians. Father, I want to pray for pastors who have been faithful leaders for you. And somebody marched into their church one day and they burnt their church to the ground and they carried the pastor off and he's in a hole somewhere and he feels completely forgotten. He can't see his family. They don't know anything about him. And he's been faithful. And Father, I don't even really know what to pray other than that you would sustain them and that you would give them courage and faith and grace to get through one more day. And God, that you would forgive me when I complain because the car won't start or because I have a bellyache or my restaurant was closed. Father, your call to follow you is heavy. And there is a cost. And I pray that in this place this morning, we would be found counting that cost. We depend on your grace to sustain us. I pray, Father, that we would demonstrate and, and represent you well as we leave this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.